This podcast is a production of the Johns Hopkins University Press. To learn more, please visit press.jhu.edu slash journals. Thank you for tuning in to this Johns Hopkins University Press podcast. My name is Brian Shea, and I am the Advertising and Public Relations Manager in the Journals Division. In March 2017, eight scholars from a variety of disciplines gathered at Texas A&M University for a two-day conference called 1917, a global turning point in history and memory. These discussions and presentations were later developed into a special issue of the journal South Central Review. Adam Seip, a professor in the Department of History at Texas A&M and guest editor of the issue, joined us to talk about the project and the important historical and cultural lessons we can learn from 100 years ago. Thank you for joining me today, Adam. Tell me, how important is it to keep the lessons of the First World War alive? Well, thanks a lot for having me, Brian. I, I really appreciate this opportunity. The First World War, one of the, the quotes that, that is kind of a go-to quote for thinking about the First World War is, is from George Kennan, who called it the great seminal catastrophe of the 20th century. And I, and I think that Kennan's words really do ring out uh, across the centennial. Uh, the First World War shaped the world in which we live. So in a sense, um, whether or not we want to keep the lessons of the First World War alive, they are alive. And I think if you, if you look out at the world in which we live today and some of the great challenges of our world, you can see the First World War and its legacies right there in front of us. And when I'm, when I'm sort of talking to students about this and when I'm, when I'm talking to, to a more general audience about this, two of the examples uh, that I use are the current crisis between uh, Russia and Ukraine. Uh, mm-hmm. For Ukraine, this is the 100th anniversary of, of the first real independence movement uh, in that country and that legacy. Is, is certainly with us today. And then the the way that the First World War has shaped the modern Middle East, and I don't think I have to work too hard to, to convince uh, you or our listeners that, that the shape of the modern Middle East is of critical importance to Americans. And whether Americans want to think about the Middle East as a result of the First World War or not, it is. And, and as as a piece of evidence for this, uh, again, when I teach this, I, I show a very short snippet from uh, an Islamic State propaganda video that, that shows a, uh, a, a bulldozer uh, knocking down a sand berm that marked the border between uh, Iraq and Syria. And the, the caption in English under this is, is tearing up the Sykes-Picot Agreement. Most Americans don't think about the Sykes-Picot Agreement very much, and no penalty for any of our listeners who don't know what it is, but it refers to a series of sort of semi-secret agreements between Britain and France about dividing up the Middle East at the end uh, of, of the war and in the collapsing Ottoman Empire. So in a sense, to be somewhat flippant about it, Americans may not think very much about the First World War, but the rest of the world thinks an awful lot about the First World War, and whether we do or not is essentially irrelevant. So that's a rather long answer to a short question. But the, the First <laughs> but, World War is with us, whether we want it to be or not. Exactly. And, and this issue came out of a conference in March 2017 to talk about these things. What was that process like to turn it around so quickly? Because I know we have other journals who turn conference proceedings into issues. It usually isn't done in six months or so, though. Well, that's a, that's a great question, and certainly anyone who's listening who's involved in academic publishing. You know, we, we, we were very, very lucky. So a couple of things. One, we knew that, that 
this was a you know, this is going to be a journal special issue that commemorated a very specific moment, and that is the the centennial of 1917. So we kind of had to get it out in 1917, uh, in 2017. My apologies. Uh, the best answer I can give is that the people that that we were working with on this project, from the journal editor Nick Lawrence to the, the contributors who made this issue, uh, are all professionals. And th it was really great to work with this group. Uh, this was a group of very, very high quality scholars who recognized that we were we were in a hurry, uh, and produced high quality work very, very quickly. They were exceptionally responsive to editorial queries and, and to just having a, a really positive and interesting conversation, both at the conference and then as we moved forward with, with the issue. And I, I, can't, I can't say enough about uh, South Central Review as a venue for, for publishing this kind, of, this kind of scholarship. You didn't ask me to praise the journal, but I will. I think, uh, I think the editor did a, a really terrific job, and, and you know, everything was just done uh, at a very, very high level, and it allowed us to get this out you know, within the time parameters that we'd set. I've certainly never worked on any other editing projects that moved this smoothly, and that, that speaks volumes for uh, the editorial staff. What makes the journal and its audience perfect for this, the, the right uh, venue for this topic? South Central Review is known as a venue for real interdisciplinary scholarship, and, and that's where this that's where this started out. Um, the the conference that we put together is, I think, if I don't say so myself, a part of a really remarkable collaboration that we have at Texas A and M University, uh, the Melbourne Glasscock Center for Humanities Research, uh, which is located in the building where I'm sitting right now, uh, the Tamu France Institute, and then Texas A and M is is the home of the George. Uh, Bush Presidential Library, that is the elder uh, President Bush, yeah. George H.W. Bush, uh, and we have the George Bush School of Public Service here, uh, School of Government and Public Service, and, and all of these institutions work together to make this happen. This is the kind of collaboration that that is required if if we're going to have genuine interdisciplinary conversations. So you know, the venue that we had this conference is a, is a policy school. So we had a certain imperative to make sure that, it, that part of our conversation was directly relevant to, to students and faculty with a policy interest. At the same time, the Humanities Center uh, has a very strong focus on, on literature and philosophy. Uh, I am a historian, and we brought in a legal scholar from Texas A&M's law school, Charlotte Koo, uh, as part of the team. So, I mean, lots of lots of conferences and lots of institutions talk about inter interdisciplinarity. This is something that's kind of baked in to to what we are doing here at, at Texas A and M, and I'm very proud of that. Back to the the topic of 1917 and the war. You know, what what aspects of society from 1917 do we really need to learn from? You already talked about you know the nation building and things like that, but what can people look back at to learn today? So I would would commend well, I would commend the entire issue to to our listeners, but people who are are trying to think in a in a deep and sophisticated way about America's role in the world uh, really do need to think about the First World War. It, it, it is a shame. I, I talked about this a little earlier that Americans marginalize the history of the First World War in our national imagination, but. The way that America went out into the world in 1917 and then in many ways recoiled from it uh, helped to shape the rest of the 20th century in, in really interesting and profound ways. So I would particularly commend Paul Jankowski's really excellent uh, essay in this, in this issue about the way that Americans thought about the rightness or appropriateness of America's engagement in the First World War over the course of the next 20 years and, frankly, the way that, that America's repudiation of its, of its role in the First World War. World War, but profoundly affected 
how America responded to the rising tide of Nazism in Germany and to Japanese imperialism in the Pacific. Um, the Second World War and the First World War are they're very different in many ways, but they're also inextricably linked. And if we're going to think about how America is going to play a role in the 21st century world, it really does bear thinking about about the 20th century. Uh, I would also point to uh, Elizabeth Cobb's really outstanding essay in this piece about uh, the, the Hello Girls, um, a, a female communications unit that went with the American Expeditionary Force to France and, and the way that the Hello Girls kind of captured a moment uh, and helped to advance the idea of, of women as full citizens in the political community of the United States. It's not accidental that it wasn't long after the war that, that women got the vote in the United States and, and became, in a sense, finally full citizens uh, in a way that they hadn't been before. I think those issues certainly bear some consideration now. Lisa has also written uh, a really outstanding book that just came out that gives this a much fuller treatment, and I would recommend that to anyone who's listening. Right. Earlier you talked about the Middle East, and uh, you had also mentioned in your intro that topics like that might not have been covered in this issue as much as as they could be, or, or maybe some people hope, but um, that's going to start more conversations. That's going to start more research. Uh, what kind of opportunities do you think exist to keep this conversation going and not just focusing on the anniversary? Sure. I, I hope that, that this conversation does keep going because uh, I, I think that, as I've said a couple of times, the America and Americans would really benefit from thinking more about the legacies of the First World War. Uh, the Middle East is a really, a really great example of this. I, I recommend in the introduction, and again, I recommend to, to listeners, Michael Reynolds' really outstanding book, Shattering Empires, which is a deeply archivally researched uh, book about the, the borderlands between the Russian and, and Ottoman empires, where both empires effectively collapsed um, in, in, toward the end of the, of the First World War. But to do that kind of work requires extraordinary linguistic ability and an extraordinary patience and extraordinarily, extraordinary willingness to deal with some, some really fairly obscure topics uh, and, and to, to bring those obscure topics and connect them with, with something uh, much more global and transformative. Um, so that the difficulty of, of really engaging with the First World War as a world war, with, with engaging with these sort of odd moments of the First World War, like the hundreds of thousands of Chinese laborers who, who came from East Asia to work uh, behind the lines of the Allied forces, um, you know, the story of India and the First World War, which is really only now being told, uh, the First World War as, as a war that was fought off the coasts of Latin America, that was fought uh, you know, in the Pacific, uh, that was fought in all of these, these contexts that we just don't think about uh, the First World War in. And one of the great things about this renaissance of First World War literature is that there are now historians who have the languages, who have the perspective, who aren't just thinking about the Western Front, that are, are, are taking on the complexities of the First World War and, and really drawing out the war as a global engagement and as an engagement, as a conflict that, that had profound repercussions, not just in Europe, but but all over the world. Uh, that's something that, that has certainly happened over the last 20 years. And hopefully uh, won't abate anytime soon now that the, the interest uh, might be might be peaking with the, with the centennial. All right. That's great. It obviously is a lot to think about. It is such a huge history lesson for everyone that we can all use. And I really appreciate the issue and you taking some time to talk to us about it today, Adam. 
Absolutely. I was really, really pleased to do it. Thanks a lot, Brian. Thank you for listening to this Johns Hopkins University Press podcast. Please visit press.jhu.edu slash journals for more information.